KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and standing by is author Janice Horowitz. She's covered health at Time Magazine for two decades and created and hosted Dueling Docs, the Cure to Contradictory Medicine for Public Radio. She has a new book out, Health Yourself, What's Really Driving Your Care and How to Take Charge. She's sharing her critical insights so you can successfully advocate for yourself. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Congratulations on having this book come out. And here we are in a pandemic. Uh, Before we get into the details of the book, what's it been like launching this book? I mean, you've worked so hard to get this out there. Very different. Very, very different. You know, there are no events. In the old days, you just sort of hosted events, both with your friends and with places like Barnes & Noble. Yes. Very eager to do this when I first told them I was working on this book. But now all that's fallen by the wayside. But that's okay because I think the book is is critical right now because people are just getting back to their doctors to address health things that they've ignored for yes. you know months and months for over a year. So my feeling is, um, if you read health yourself, you'll do it right, and you have the time to read it to to make those doctor appointments really count and give you the insights that you need. I I felt like when I was reviewing the book, which I really enjoyed, by the way, um, it gives you an insight into, you know, be your own advocate. You ask questions. And I've had issues before. I I had to have back surgery years ago. And I I remember the first doctor scaring the life out of me, telling me, well, this is going to happen. And this length of this incision and this days in the hospital. And I thought, "Mm, second opinion. And I got five opinions because it's my body. Right. And that's something I absolutely stress in the book. Second opinions are enormous. In uh, 35% of the time, a second opinion will give you a different treatment option. In 15% of the time, which is actually quite a high number, it will be a different diagnosis. But what I suggest to people, we've been hearing about second opinions for decades, what I suggest is something even better, and that is a second perspective, meaning that you go to a doctor in a different but related field. For example, and maybe you did this with your back, if you've hurt your shoulder, you go to an orthopedist, but don't then go to your friend's orthopedist or the orthopedist down the hall, and you can't. Yes. After that, or what may prove to be more productive is to go to a different type of doctor. For example, an osteopath. They do more hands-on work. And one of the reasons to get this, what I call a second perspective, is that doctors in different fields have different training. They They see different types of people than, let's say, orthopedists see. And um, they follow different guidelines, which are called protocols that the society publishes. So you're really expanding the information that you get if you don't merely get a second opinion, but get a second perspective. Yes. I, and I had another thing happen, almost had shoulder surgery. It's funny you said that. And I ended up not wanting to get surgery and I did um, physical therapy and massage. And you're fine. I'm fine. 
Yes, so that is very important. Yeah. You know? And, and do you, excuse me, do you find sometimes our injuries can be emotional too? Do you mean emotional in that once our you pain. your reaction to it, the pain? Yes, yes. Very interesting because the New York Times just today on the front page resurrected an old book by someone named John Sarno, who basically claims that most chronic pain syndromes are emotionally based. I actually interviewed him when I was a time. You did. And it bothers me because it's blaming the victim, right? And you don't really want to do that. Right. On the one hand. On the other hand, there are uh, stress hormones that are released that lower your tolerance to pain. And when you're in pain or uh, when you're stressed about being in pain, you have muscle contractions, which can surround the nerves. It's called the neurovascular bundle. So there is a stress component, but I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't hang everything on that. Sure. Yes. I, I actually discovered a lot of mine was emotional. That's why I asked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you feel better, right? Thank you. You have a very interesting backstory to this book. You had an injury all because of laughing. Tell me about that. Yes. I, 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 I laughed my way into harm. Um, I was out in New York City where I live. With, with a bunch of journalists and someone said something funny and I swung my head back, mm-hmm. not realizing there was a metal bar on the banquette, this sort of French bistro we were in, and I smacked it. And the smack was so loud that friend after friend asked me if I was okay. And I said, I'm fine, you know, and that goofy smile you have, mm-hmm. you know, I actually was worried. And one of the concerns about hitting the back of your head is you could die. (laughs) They're not legal in boxing. They're called rabbit punches because there's a lot of important nerves in the back of your head. And the skull is very soft there. So my experience and how it relates to this book is I ran and ran from one doctor to the next. And everybody had something different to say. And most of them excuse me, prescribed tests, unnecessary tests, CAT scans, which I wouldn't do, and all kinds of crazy things like pouring water down my ear canal, which I later heard, uh, found out can cause harm to your, to your hearing if it doesn't go right. And I realized two important messages. One is actually the basis of that show about contradictory medicine, why that happens. And I could get into that later. But the other is I realized in my own circle, myself, my family, my friends, there were countless stories of people's frustration, of being sent to do the wrong thing, of going down the rabbit hole. So what I wanted to find out is what's driving that? What is it that we're not seeing? Sure. And there are little things that are interesting that people don't know about. One little thing is if you see a doctor in a hospital, which I did for my concussion, I had a concussion, um, and the doctor says, go down the hall and get an x-ray, the doctor's probably getting a bonus because they just brought income into the hospital. Interesting. They definitely get brownie points, mm-hmm. and they usually get a bonus. Another thing, you know, I think everybody knows in the background is the power of drug companies. Big Pharma. 
big pharma mm -hmm. and insurance companies are pulling the strings. And I go into that, but these are subtle things to be made aware of. For example, when you go to urgent care, the urgent care doctors live and die by their ratings. You're always asked to rate. You may do it or you may not. Their schedules depend on getting a five-star rating. They don't have to come in on weekends or evenings or have the bad schedule holiday if they keep getting five-star ratings. Their status is elevated if they get a lot of five-star ratings. So what does that do? It encourages them to please you, even mm -hmm. if it's not in your best interest. The same happens in emergency rooms. <clears throat> so in the old days, meaning like two years ago, urgent care doctors would give out painkillers like opioids. And there's been a lot of research that they and emergency room doctors are in some ways contributors to the opioid crisis. These days, it's an overprescription of antibiotics. That you know, the mother comes in, my kid has an earache, boom, antibiotic, even though you're not supposed to give antibiotics. Is that still going on now? Because that happened to my daughter when she was little. Yes, it goes mm. on now. The guidelines say you have to have five days of fever before a doctor should prescribe antibiotics. Most okay. ear infections are, bacteria, are viral. Okay. It's just like, okay, take the pill, take the pill, here's a mm -hmm. prescription. And it is for them the sweet sauce. And there's, also, there's a lot of research on the overprescription of antibiotics. In fact, due to urgent care doctors worrying about their ratings. So Interesting. Right. And I'm going to take it a step further. So I have a dairy allergy. I had it when I was little, but I didn't even think that my daughter could potentially have a dairy allergy. And then she constantly had these ear infections. It seemed like every six weeks and she was having dairy and then she was constantly on antibiotics, antibiotics, and then she got leaky gut. So it really comes down to, I believe, be a detective, you know, yeah. before you jump on the antibiotics, let's get to the root cause of what is going on and why. Exactly. And one of the things I say in my book is you can overtly say, I don't need a pill. You know, I really want to have an in-depth understanding of why you're prescribing this. What do the guidelines say? I mean, it takes a lot of nerve. If you have the nerve, you do it. Yeah. And also what you should communicate. Actually, one thing you can say, which I say in my book, is I would really value this experience if you gave me time. The word experience is a hot button because they're all obsessed with the, quote, patient experience. That's what great patient experience. So if you say, my patient experience, or my experience would be really great if you took the time to explain why you are prescribing, let's say, antibiotics, or why you're doing anything, why you're mm -hmm. saying I should get a CAT scan. Yes. That will really help my patient experience. Wink, wink, the doctor will know what you need. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a different thing. And, you know, yeah. other tips include when you go into a doctor's office, you should scan the office. If you see mugs or pencils or pads emblazoned with the name of a drug company, yes, the doctor was probably just at a conference 
or in the clutches of an overeager salesperson. And perhaps, right? And mm -hmm. if you have to prescribe that drug, you know, it should give you pause. And one exactly. of the things in my book is don't always go for the newest drug. The reason why is drugs are studied on a few thousand people, <clears throat> excuse me, before they come to market. Okay. So, <clears throat> sometimes an older drug can do just as good a job or even a good enough job. And often they've been let loose on millions of people like blood pressure lowering drugs. Mm -hmm. So doctors know what to expect. They know what uh, side effects to look for. And more importantly, they know how to handle them. They're experienced. An older drug, you know, I, I, I think it's important to wait. Sure. Um, I want to back up. Tell me how you started writing for Time Magazine. Oh, I don't even know if I know. Um, let me think. I started as a fact checker. Okay. I also started in the business section. I have a degree from the London School of Economics. And um, I just found that the business stories didn't stick. Mm -hmm. I didn't remember them. And I very, um, in a sense, shyfully, if that's a word, asked if I could go into the health section. And then it lit the fire. Actually, when I was at the London School of Economics, I would always read the medical journals, and I kept saying I want to go back home. There it is. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I never did. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. What was the process like writing this book? I mean, you share a lot of your personal journey. Well, interesting, because it was during the pandemic, and we were all holed up in a little farmhouse we have. We were one of those people who escaped New York. Um, which I regret, actually. It was very isolating. Where was it, by the way? Near Hudson, New York. Do oh, yeah. Hudson? Yeah. It's I know what that is. Yeah. It's, it's known now for galleries and antiques. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people from Brooklyn are going up there. Mm -hmm. And um, people call it Brooklyn North. Okay. Brooklyn Lonely because <laughs> it's very lonely. Um, so I kept saying to I would sit in this big red chair and I kept saying, I need two hours. I need two hours all along. And of course, that would end up four hours. So it became mm -hmm. the big joke. I need two hours. I need two hours. And so it was a little strange, but 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 fun. You know, I, got, I talked to a lot of people, got this story, talked to a lot of sources. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to be able to turn that into a quiz, into a productive time. That's incredible. Any little tidbits you want to share with the viewers, uh, what to expect in the book? Um, well, I think part, well, the book at the beginning is a little heavy. It's, I call it breaking down the system and I go into the flaws of research. Mm -hmm. So you have to turn on that kind of head to read it. It's a little methodic. And, and then the book has a lot of stories about people. And I really try to give lessons by, go, by explaining, by seeing people's stories and explaining all the way along the line what they did, what they could have done, how their care could have been better. And I really want people to be in what I call a health yourself mindset. And that's basically the last chapter in which I delineate very clearly sets of questions to ask yourself in your own head, for example, looking around the office, do I see 
you know, mugs with a drug name. Yes. And then to ask out loud. And I do that in different circumstances. And in the reviews of my book by people, they say that part, that they like copy that part and they take it to their doctors. So the different circumstances are when you're prescribed a drug, the most, the drug that you really want to be most um, uh, skeptical, I try to turn people into healthy skeptics, are what I call lifer drugs, drugs that you're going to take for more than two weeks. We can all Mm -hmm. survive two weeks. So I have a set of questions. What to ask when prescribed a lifer drug? What to ask when your doctor says surgery? What to ask when you're just going for a CAT scan? So I think that's the most sort of news you can use. So the middle is entertaining and instructive. The beginning is a little, you know, rigorous. In the end, it's like you could just take it with you and go to the doctor. It's great. No, I found it to be really helpful and very relevant, you know, for all different ages. Uh, Because, you know, we all have to go to the doctor at some point. We have these procedures. I've gotten very skeptical if I'm handed a prescription for something like, do I really need that? And a lot of times I don't. I don't need it. Right. So, and by the way, in the book, I start out on the first day of born and then take you through old age. So you can cherry pick. Mm-hmm. But the issue about the drugs are very interesting. As I said, think about old versus new drug, but there are other things. And I'm, I'm happy to say one tip. And that is sometimes a study will say this drug cuts in half your risk of X, something really bad, breaking your hip, dying, something. Yeah. Who wouldn't race to get that drug? Exactly. Wow, I want that drug. But here again is where you have to be smart and you have to turn on that skeptical, smarty, health yourself mindset. You have to ask about what's called the absolute risk, meaning what is your risk of this bad thing to, bad thing happening? Yes. Maybe 2% to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's the case of breaking a hip and needing bone strength in the drugs. So if you're cutting it in half, you're down to 1%. Is it really worth the cost, the side effects, potential side effects? Sorry about that. It's okay. The um, commitment. Yes. Convenience to move the needle one percentage. Yes. And there have actually been, there's a study on that, which said that people actually don't want to go on a drug and tolerate um, whatever side effects there can be, unless that needle moves all the way up, unless you're cutting the absolute uh, risk by 50%. That doesn't mean, I don't, I don't want to confuse people, but the, the question to ask yourself is, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Always ask the absolute risk because it may be very tiny to begin with. Yeah. But cutting it in half may not really get you what you want. I mean, a lot of times I'll, I'll watch or listen to commercials about pharmaceutical drugs on TV and um you know, it's all flowery and this is going to solve your problem. But then you listen to that, that, um, you know, copy at the end and it might cause death or a stroke or, and the list is so extensive and scary. My advice is never listen to those ads. There are only two countries on planet earth that allow direct advertising directly to consumers for drugs. 
It's the U.S. and it's New Zealand. Okay. And it is, it distorts everything. And, you know, this, this, it's crazy, actually, that a drug company would put in the ears and, and, and eyes, basically, of a consumer that knows nothing. Uh, you know, any information about yes. prescribed drugs. And they're even controlled substances like, anti, like anti-anxieties that are, are being advertised on TV. Yes. It makes us sort of a laughingstock. The Europeans cannot believe what goes on here. So my advice, ignore it. Yes. Well, you even bring up something in the book about ADHD, and I think it was the 1960s. And I just, you know, I remember reading about this where, you know, every uh, child that perhaps was kind of fidgety was diagnosed with, you know, ADHD when maybe it was something else. And I made me think of the health expo that sits here every spring in Anaheim, California. And a doctor got up and he said, you know, here in the United States, um, he showed a picture of a little boy on a, on a bus. And he said, this is Johnny. And he forgot his backpack and he was fidgety at school and he was disruptive. But the truth was he was tired. He didn't have breakfast. And so he forgot his backpack, but all of a sudden he's given a prescription. He's medicalized. He's medicalized. It, yeah. It's it's tragic. Yeah. And the number is something like 15% of boys still today mm-hmm. uh, are given stimulants, right? Which is a chemical cousin to meth uh, in order to calm them down. And again, we're laughed at in Europe. It's like, go be a wild kid. You're a kid. Yes. And again, even that boy... It could be there are tensions at home. There could be he's being bullied. It could be, which you actually find a lot, that kids rather be, quote, bad than dumb. So they act out when they're not understanding the schoolwork. And it's not something, you know, to treat with stimulants. Sure. I mean, I also think back to my childhood growing up on like all those sugary cereals and, you know, Captain Crunch. And I mean, it was like everything was processed. And I was a horrible student. And I know there was a correlation between what I ate, how I felt, my depression, and what I ate. And um, so I think more people need to focus on that before they jump on the, oh, my kid needs medication. Your brain needs food. It yes. It's Yes. I'm not going to get it from Captain Crunch. No. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's not clear that sugar is linked to hyperactivity. Maybe no. the studies are mixed on that, but it's not good for you, period. No. No. It's not going to get your brain, as I said, yes. functioning properly. Yes. Well, congratulations uh, on this book. I think it's wonderful that you have come out with this. And uh, where can people find out more about you? You know, the best place is Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. I also have a website okay. called Janice Horowitz Book. But, it, but you know, if you want to order it, the best is Amazon. Okay. All for yourself by me, Janice Horowitz. And there is an about the author on it and also my website. You just have to search. But I hope people buy it and learn a lot and, you know, that things will start changing when people have the confidence to speak up, one thing, when you do ask your doctor questions, don't be aggressive, don't be nasty, don't use words like negligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctors really treat people better, consciously or not, if they're nice. So be yes. nice. 
and engage in a nice way. Yes. Behave. (laughs) Right, right. Kind. We need that. Genesis has been wonderful. And again, congratulations. Thank you so much.